Welcome to The Lumber Word, where industry veterans Matt Beamer, Greg Riley, and Ashley Buckholt dissect the world of commodity lumber each week. We bring you up-to-date insights on supply, demand, and market trends, sharing our trading expertise to benefit everyone in the supply chain. Join us for informative and entertaining discussions that guarantee to make you wiser about all things lumber. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lumber Word. This is the word. This is episode eight. Uh, so, welcome, everybody. Really good, exciting news on the podcast so far. Uh, we've we've uploaded a bunch of and uh, cleaned up a bunch of our podcasts. First, we want to use some gratitude. Thank you, the audience, for uh, for listening. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll throw the disclaimer in there first. These ideas that we have, we talk a lot about lumber trades, buying and selling. These are the I- views and opinions only of ourselves, not intended for anybody else to use as any advice. So don't take advice from three dudes that sit at their desks and trade uh, trade lumber every day. Uh, so welcome back. So I, I was at the 84 lumber event in Nemecolon. Matt saw your buddy Scott Gasho over there. I uh, oh, saw cool. a bunch of people we were all familiar with and then uh, headed out Monday and went over to the BCMC show over in Indianapolis where saw Rob O'Neill from SEAL Team 6 kick off and give the uh, keynote speech. Some good advice there. Don't react, but always respond. Thought that was pretty cool. Listen to Greg Kuda and Alex Mead talk a little bit about uh, lumber futures and how they can integrate that in and our our guest that's on occasionally, Russ Taylor, thank goodness he went before me because he had a lot of the details in there that I really needed for my talk. We had a panel talking about lumber, Sean from Timberland and James from Shelter. Uh, had a pretty good conversation, just kicking ideas around about, about lumber. So Ash, what was the general, I mean, so you've been out in the industry a lot of people in this week. What was the what's the general sentiment of the people that you that you interacted with? Positive, negative, bearish, bullish. What what what? How would you characterize it? Great, great question. So both events had some of the same people, some different people. So I would say, and I'll sum it up kind of like what you said, Greg. I think the first half of the year. And housing starts was better than expected. And I think there's a little bit of uncertainty, which we'll unpack a little bit up coming up here, going forward in the industry. A lot of questions came up in the panel about, hey, where do you think lumber's going? What should we do? What is volatility going to do this year? Are we going to go back to four-digit numbers? How should we carry our inventory? Do you think things are going to go down to $300 a thousand? Prince George base. How much Southern Yellow Pine lumber is going to be produced this year? Is that going to keep prices down? Is there going to be more European lumber coming in? That's a lot of questions. That was a small amount of the question. So to sum it up, everybody was happy. Everybody believes that housing is going to plot along and is on a long-term, slow-moving, up-and-to-the-right chart, bullish moves, which is exciting. But as we also know, always concerns me, right? A little bit. Um, I heard yeah. a lot of conversation about how homes are severely underbuilt, 
how interest rates are going to be going down. I threw out the idea how what happens if interest rates go up to double digits and nobody really liked hearing that, right? So yeah, I, I would say everybody's positive. Everybody's happy. Everybody certainly, by how much fun everybody was having, has had the last few good years. As you and I all know, Greg, Matt, when we go to these events, they're either very small events and subdued or people are really happy and cutting loose, right? <laughs> people were still happy and cutting loose, if that makes sense, yeah. and yeah. which was good to see. It was a good, good turnout because I've been to some of these events, especially the BCMC in 2008, 9, 10, and 11. And it was very small compared to what it is now. So it's good to see just packed conference rooms, listening to speakers and everything. It was, it was, it was good. A lot of younger people there too. You think that the, the participation at the trust show was much more reflective of their business has been steady and positive all year. And, and they must obviously have a pretty good order file that there's as they're looking out, if they're, if they're feeling like that. So back to the, the people at the BCMC show, I went to dinner with a few people last night and the night before and Tuesday night. Was alcohol involved? <laughs> of course there was. Uh, <laughs> but the panelizers uh, <laughs> certainly and the framers have a lot of business going forward, right? In the mm -hmm. books. And, uh, you know, in some places, and I'm talking Midwest, Southeast, Northeast, business seems to be very solid still. Matter of fact, I heard some comments of I hear business is going to be good from the framing side for another 15 to 20 years. Those type of comments, right? Where everybody is very bold up on building right now. Okay. Um, where, you know, Matt, you and I, Greg and Matt, we, our time frames are a little different. So I made sure when I was talking on the panel, I'm talking about what's lumber going to be doing in the next week, six months, potentially a year. And really, I summed up a lot of my conversations by, but none of us really know, right? Actually, we kind of do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk to me. I mean, that's what the show's about, right? I mean, we know that single family is going to remain, you know, in demand. They've got, the ability to, to write down the cost of entry on the front end and existing home does not, you know, you're at the mercy of seven and a half or seven and three quarter, unless you're going to strike some kind of a private deal with the seller. Right. But in reality, that's most likely not going to happen. And so that puts the advantage to the, the new home builder where they're financing people down to four and a half or five points. And then the new home builder can build a smaller home that's more economical, that fits people's budgets, which, you know, right now people are minding their P's and Q's on what they're spending money on. So we, I think that the, the market is, is okay for the, the new home construction. And I think it's with the higher rates and the cost of borrowing, it's going to be tougher for multifamily. We're seeing some markets with lower um, rents, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that trend will probably continue doesn't mean that it'll stop. I mean, there's still going to be construction for multifamily. It's just going to be a little bit slower. And then we know that the, uh, the retail side, the over-the-shoulder trades, still looking up. You know, their forecast is for growth next year. They 
forecasted 10 to 15% growth this year. And, and that's so far come true. So barring some kind of an economic shock that we don't really plan on, I think you can kind of read the tea leaves right there. I mean, it's, it's interesting as you went through that, Matt, you know, we had a bunch of statistics this week and housing starts came down, came out for the year. We're down 15.8%. Single families down 15.5%. And, oh, no, that's the permit number. I'm sorry. 12.5%. Single families down 15.1%. Multifamily year to date is down 6.6%. And I guess that actually getting that, that feedback from the framer side of it, the wall panel, the trust guys, multifamily is only down 6.6%. That's not bad. I guess where it comes into play is the year-to-date change on multifamily permits are down 17.7%. So it's going to be interesting to see how long the guys that said that they have a 15 to 20 years is going to be good. I'm going to take the under on that. <laughs> well, you know, you, you hear comments like that when you're at a show, but it's it's just because their business has been so good. But, one, you know, one of the multifamily builders told me, and let it roll around in my head a little bit, we need to build homes that are affordable for people that can't even afford the entry level homes right now. Right. And with a lot of immigration, with a lot of people that are, have a lot of student debt, et cetera, some of these multifamily, you know, rentals are some, are some entry level homes that, that are the homes that people can afford, if that makes sense. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we still, Hey, listen, you know, you have more people, you need more houses. Uh, existing home sales came out today, Ash, and they're down 21% year over year. Yeah. They're down over 35% from two years ago to something like an all-time, all-time low on the number of existing homes for sale. And the price went up. Less homes for sale, higher prices. There was an article in the journal today We've got all these uh, these companies that buy homes and then rent them out, single family homes, yeah. invitation homes, uh, American homes for rent. And what they're saying is they're having a hard time buying single family homes to rent because of the price squeeze, right? They're bidding on all sorts of things and they're not getting them. So, you know, I think that backdrop is pretty positive for the builders. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. Well, some questions from the show that, that we talked about in our panel, maybe I'll throw it at you guys. What's encouraging and discouraging or discouraging, I hate that term, but about the current lumber market out there. So what, what I threw in there was volatility. It depends upon where you sit in the supply chain. I love volatility. Who doesn't love volatility where we sit at? Greg, Matt, we've talked about it. 2019, 20, 21, 22, volatile, probably means reversion to mean. Greg, you love that saying that. You, I called you before I went in there and you said, hey, Ash, reversion to mean. We probably aren't going to have as much volatility coming up here. And so to a builder or to a panelizer, that's encouraging, right? Right. I mean, but to us, I'm not going to say discouraging, but, but I told everybody I'd let them in on a little secret distributors and wholesale distributors like volatility <laughs> to a degree <laughs> right what's encouraging and discouraging to you guys about the current lumber market encouraging would be that there's still liquidity and we're in a slow time of the year you know i've seen that this week 
in all the things that we're doing here at the mothership. You know, we've had some mill problems that we've had to solve and we've solved them. And so I find that to be encouraging. In the backdrop of what Greg said last week about the last two weeks of September typically being your slowest two weeks of the year. So I like that. Discouraging, I would say a lot of the inquiry and potential orders that we're getting from the market, whether it's green or dry, doesn't matter, any species, the inquiry versus what we have in inventory are just kind of like crisscrossing two different things. You know, the mills need to sell this and the customer wants to buy that. That's sometimes discouraging because you can't fulfill everybody's needs. But with the things that we do want to sell, we're, we're getting orders. So that's the positive spin that I would put on, on this week's market. It's hard. I concur with, with everything that Matt, that Matt just said. I mean, the, you know, the biggest positive is, is the good liquidity. To his point is, I mean, there's certain products that from our standpoint, whether we're selling, if we're selling mill production, which we sell mill production. And so you need to find the price so you can make it go away. We're getting to prices at our mill in Eastern Canada where they're going to start saying, ouch. Now, does that mean they're going to do it tomorrow? No, but because we've got finished inventory, we need to sell it. We're, we're going to take that price down to the price it needs to be. But we're getting to that point where they're going to be making the decision, hey, we need to figure out how we can make less lumber and lose less money. If it's happening at our mill, it's happening at all the rest of the mills. Great point. Yeah, let's talk about that. This is, you know, I'm saying, this, so this is the end of the third quarter. You know, those financials trickle in over the next 30 to 45 days. The real decision making is going to happen in November ish. So if I look at it, I go, huh, you know what? Market's going to continue to be under pressure for a while here. But it's going to probably set up some really great opportunity. Yeah, I kind of want to touch on that for a second because, in my opinion, the Western mills are in worse shape than the Eastern mills in terms of the losses. So I'm kind of curious how much longer we're going to go before we start seeing some announcements. You know, might be a week, might be a month. I don't really know, but I, I get a feeling there's going to be some. I mean, there's an old guy, an old saying from a guy who used to tell me is mills don't shut down because of price they shut down because they've got too much inventory which is a result of price probably right well i mean to to a degree i mean basically it's a result of not selling what they are producing at the same rate we've all been markets where you know the mills trying to hold a price and so they don't sell they build that inventory down and then they sell inventory off i mean i know matt you know, you guys went through that in 10, 11, 12. It was probably all the way till then where you didn't have kind of rotating inventory shutdowns at your mills. Are we going to back to that place? That's my question. I don't know. I mean, part of the part of the math is in something we've talked about for like a month and a half here on our show is what's going to happen with the the money that's being held in earnest between, you know, the dispute between U.S. and Canada. It's funny how... When the mills start, you know, losing money and there's no real answer in the cash market, how all of a sudden let's talk about this uh, unfair tariff thing that we've been doing for what eleven or twelve years, fifty years, <laughs> you know. But the modern version of it is is about a decade old, and all of a sudden it's a topic. 
Well, why is it a topic? I think it's a topic because, you know, they'd like to get their hands on that money. The free money that was coming in 21 and 22 is gone. And so they're going to have to earn it the old fashioned way, which is being efficient, praying that the lumber market stays above 500. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like we're in a situation right now where Western Canada is, is now the new high cost producer. You know, it used to be the inland and, and Western Oregon, Washington, California. Not anymore. BC and Alberta has now become the new high cost producer. So every time we dip down below, like what you see futures today at 479 close, that's a 369 Prince George equivalent, putting some real pressure on on all the Western mills. You know, I, I asked uh, Russ about those, um, the fires too, about logging those potential. Well, a couple questions. People asked, how the fire affected price this year. I go, well, you can look at the price. It didn't, the price actually went down during a lot of those right. fires, right? right? I made the comment. I, I thought those fires, there had been worse years. Russ corrected me and he said, the, this was recorded some of the largest amount of timber loss due to Is fires. Is he just talking about Canada? Canada, yeah. Oh. And, uh, but I talked to him afterwards and he had a good point. Uh, most of that timber was in areas outside of where mills would harvest anyway, or farther, far enough away from a lot of the mills where he had a, the correct term for it. Even though a lot of it was burned, it was in areas that were kind of outside of their wheelhouse for harvesting some of the timber anyway. So if you, you're getting back, Ash, we, we kind of, you know, we talked about like the encouraging thing. The other encouraging thing that I look at is we're, things are getting stressed again. So we're probably setting up for, some great basis trading opportunities. I mean, right now, the forward sell numbers are pretty attractive. We can lock in some of these low prices for a pretty long time. So that's a big positive to certainly to that segment of that's, the marketplace. That's a great point. And a lot of them have business and haven't been locking it in forward. They're just, even though that's in their repertoire, so to speak, lower volatility has taken one guy explained it to me very well. The lower volatility has taken a lot of the fear out of the market, but everybody still has that sting in the back of their head of, yeah, but it was at four digits not too long ago, right? <laughs> With that said, so why don't you lock some of your prices in then? You know, well, we're not sure if it's going up any higher, right? So it's the same thing you, you generally hear. So another question, what were some of the major trends you're seeing and what makes it hard to determine their impact? So one of the major trends everybody sees is more Southern pine supposedly coming on. And, you know, looking at a couple of charts, Southern yellow pine producers have a lot of green field that are supposed to come up. But a lot of these ideas and these mills that are supposed to be built are not coming online as fast as people thought they would, right? Or not coming online at all in some cases, if that makes sense. Cool. I mean, if you're looking at if you're looking at the prices today, there's no rush to start generating cash losses. Would you think that would? But even on Southern Yellow Pine, I mean, Southern Yellow Pine. I think we talked a couple of weeks ago. That's still positive, right? Returning. It's got to be. They're the cheapest front end cost in the industry in North America, and uh, you know I think prices are okay in Yellow Pine relative to their log costs. So that was one of the major trends that, you know, that I see. I do see some more technology coming forward. When I say technology, a lot of these panelizers, they were at the show buying more saws, right? 
And their goal is to, at these multifamily jobs, to cut less and less lumber on the job site and have it done before it gets to the job site. And really, offsite construction is what's going to help us increase productivity, right? Because a lot of questions were around, well, remember, we want to build one point. 7 to 1.9 or 1.7 and we could only build 1.3 because of you know completions that hasn't changed labor's still a big issue so right. people are buying more efficient saws putting more lines in so when wall panels go to a job site they're not sitting there cutting with saws on the job site as much anymore and framing up and i think you're going to keep seeing that trend uh, a lot of these companies can switch the guy next to me said i haven't bought a 16 in 2 months i'm i changed everything in my system to cut different lengths now, right? That guy's smart. Yeah, I think though technology is allowing people to make those changes on the fly a little bit better. Another question, That's what has been the nice impact? Segue. Yeah. What what, you can segue what into been... the into the good value, bad value, what that part of the the discussion, which anyways we'll come back to that, but I just I thought that yeah, was interesting. So what has been the impact of consolidation in supply and demand? That was the big topic there. Can I take a stab at that? Take a stab. Go. On the customer side, there's less of a price discovery process when it just goes through a handful of hands. And then the secondary part of that is the companies that have done the consolidation may or may not want to spend money on inventory. Eight times out of 10, they probably don't want to spend money on inventory. There's going to be a few times each year where they do, but for the most part, they're going to try to keep their inventory relatively lean, especially with these interest rates. And then they're going to use the distributors and wholesalers to kind of fill in around the edges. Compare that to, let's say you had 10 companies operating in a market and you had 10 different buyers with 10 different levels of experience and some were owner operators and some were just paid purchasing agents and blah, 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 blah. You just have 10 different personalities. Now that's reduced to one person. That's a, that's a significant change in terms of the customer side. On the mill side, I mean, how much consolidation has been done in the, on the mill side here in the last couple of years? I know Seneca sold out to Sierra. But I'm really, I'm kind of banging my head on the, is there any major change that's occurred on the mill side here in the last couple of years? Some of the Eastern mills are... All the companies that are owned by private equity all sold the big numbers in 2021, 20, 22 to strategic buyers, whether it was Twin Rivers or Miller Western or, you know, go down right. the list, right? Right, right. One of the, one of the things we, we're seeing is, Matt, you just mentioned it's been great for distribution. I mean, you have less and less buyers making decisions, more more of the bean counters telling people to have less inventory. We look at the orders we get every day and we're like, wow, this looks pretty good, right? And it's simply because people are running a leaner inventory from what is consolidation going to look? And, and also with lumber, it's still fragmented, that it's pretty good. And we have that outlier of Euro that can come in when prices really run up high, we're still the best returning place in the world for the Europeans to bring their wood. And when they have the pine beetle that they have over there now and a bunch of wood to cut in Central Europe, there's a lot of fiber over there that can come over here. So I will say, let's see if I say this the right way. Worst case? Euro's coming here at something like 40% of the run rate that it was in the uh, year ago and first quarter. Right. Worst case is it's going to stay there. Best case, though, 
there could be more if need be. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, if the market were to have a a, a significant rally and for more than just like a week or two, that would in, for sure invite more of that stuff to come across the pond. At the prices that we're at right now, I think they're just going to send sort of minimal amounts to run their business and and hope to God they can find some better markets domestically over there or maybe in parts of Europe or Asia. The big conversation, what are the trends in spot versus contract right now? So what would well, you the guys contract think? is telling a story that you can't do in cash for the most part. I mean, I'm, I'm not able to go buy $369 cash. I was going to remark that back in your old days, Ash, this is yeah. probably about the time of year that you'd call me up and we do some swaps and you would be the buyer of them, you know, in, in your old career. Let's look at that from the perspective of the of the lumber buyer at the retail level or the mm -hmm. wholesale distribution level. If you're going to be speculating on like a on a one year basis and you're going to go make a six month trade right now, the futures board offering you 369 Prince George is a pretty good basis to which to start the discussion from, right? So what would be the, uh, when you convert that to a two before nine foot spruce, or when you convert that to some two before number three or some two by 10 number two, I mean, whatever else you want to turn it into besides two before number two, you know, you start looking at some pretty good numbers. You were talking swap there, Matt. Let's talk. We were talking, Greg was talking early in the conversation about the forward pricing numbers are starting to look good again, right? So for I mean, it's all the same thing. You call it a swap, you call it forward pricing, you call it basis trading, but it's the same exact thing at the end of the day. It's just, you're just recognizing this is a low ebb in the market. And let's just go ahead and let's do 10 or 20 of those, you know? Right. We're at a point in time right now where, you know, the real, the, the question is, hey, everybody is, you know, questioning how much of a slowdown in business there's going to be. We know seasonally that's going to happen, but what about cyclically? Well, the articles today were talking about, I mean, we've got uh, the highest mortgage rates in 20 years today and talk of mortgage rates going to 8%. Is that going to make a difference in the buyers if we've got a shortage of single family homes and the builders can can buy that down to keep selling? Because I mean, we know that existing homes aren't all of a sudden going to free up. Higher interest rates are not going to free up more existing homes. That's not going to happen. I'd actually expect that existing home supply will continue to fall as the prices where they're at right mm -hmm. now. So my backdrop on that is, hey, we're going to move somewhere below cost of production. At what point will we hit the tipping point of low inventories through the pipeline? And then all of a sudden, there's going to be less production. Do you think about it at this point in time? If the marketplace all decided, hey, listen, we need to add some inventory, we could rally $50 a thousand in a week, 10 days. Well, wow, considering we used to rally that much in five minutes in 2000. I throw out the COVID years. I'm going back to the way it used to be average right. annual volatility, $130 a thousand. And we had years in there where it was 60, 70, $80. Yeah, we had some big years. A big year was 180 or $200 of, of price action from low to high. I mean, if you're a charts and graphs guy, Greg, then this year is pretty much just like typical lumber year 
101, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, we had a little bit better volatility in the first quarter with a couple of really big moves, which right. were like some opportunities for hedgers. Right. I mean, this year, year over year, um, softwood lumber consumption is going to be down. Yep. So does um, that surprise you? No, it doesn't. But, you know, we keep talking about housing starts. We're, we'll end the year somewhere around 1.45. That sound right, Greg? I think you were throwing that out. One. It may be closer to. Yeah, maybe closer to one, like to one four, but yeah, somewhere in the low one fours. You think about what we talked about for most of 2022 was that that was capacity, right? 1.4 was kind of the max that we could sustain without having like a backlog of, what was that stat you used to talk about all the time? Completions? Completions. Remember, remember we had a huge backlog of completions? No, it was cycle time. Was cycle time, right? right? Well, the, um, I mean, completions still today. If we look at it, where's that number? I got it right here. Completions in August, one point four million. Yeah, I mean that is our capacity. That's under what the supply chain will will handle. At the end of at the end of August, was still one point six eight eight. I mean, we really haven't dropped down. I mean, you know, they, we we peaked maybe in the mid one sevens. But we really haven't dropped that number appreciably. You know, you think about that. There's almost 1.7 million houses under construction. So Russ was saying the rate of demand growth has slowed since the second half 2022. And if I'm reading this right, 2023 will be down about 6%. When did they start raising interest rates? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so right. I guess my question is, like, <laughs> we're looking, using a crystal ball, where, what is two, where, where would starts go through in 2024 then? They'll be maybe down a little bit, but not a lot. We've got a situation in the market that actually benefits the new home builder. You're you're not in a situation where starts are going to crash and go to like sub one million or you know anything like we had in two thousand and nine. But you're probably going to ease off if we do a million four this year. You know maybe you'll be flat. You know a great year next year would be to be flat. That would be a great year. Down a couple of percentage points would. Would probably be would probably be okay, and if you were down five or ten percent, I think people would be pretty happy with that. But as to your point, you know, I hear reports from the field where guys are like, "Hey, you know what? It's great because we're able to service all of our customers." I had I had a, I had somebody who during the heydays was limiting their C customers because they weren't you know they couldn't provide certain products to them. Yeah. They were only supplying their A customers, and the, the statement was, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go out and see if we can get some new customers." <laughs> so let's say let's see what it looks. Let's talk about what that looks like in our world, in other people's world. I just want to let you know that I took care of everybody during the big times. I didn't limit any of my customers. They all had an equal opportunity to purchase lumber at. Seventeen hundred dollars a thousand. <laughs> I'll go one further. Starting in April of uh, 2022, I started warning my customers that I wasn't going to continue to to sustain inventory at those levels, and that they were going to they wanted to load up on the highest price of the year. That they could count me out for the most part. I think I did them all a favor by telling them that, and I think we did people a favor by talking about all time highs and. Oh. And uh, and warning people what was to come because we knew, you know, eventually that that bubble was going to burst. 
We saved people an incredible amount of money, Matt. You know what? We did it completely altruistically. Yep. And I about that. Yeah, I didn't make point. any money off of other people's success or failure. I just felt like it's our, um, I wouldn't say duty, but sort of an ethical obligation to to just tell the truth and, and let people know what our concerns were. Craig, where I can like pound the table and jump up and down. I just want to let you know, I've, we're just about out of that MSR trade that we talked about five months ago, four or five months ago. It may, it may be one of the best trades that we ever put on. What Ashley said to me, he goes, whew, boy, that next one's going to not turn out very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just be patient. So, you know, isn't that the whole trick of, of being a, a good trader in the long run is, is having some patience and some, there's no, there's no gun to your head that says you got to do it every single day. So what, what don't we like right now in the inventory? Overvalued two before 16s. It's amazing how they keep moving even as far out as some of the shipment I mean, is on. They're, they're going to as long as people perceive that they have to buy them, right? But there's going to come a point where producers will catch up and, and the orders will slow down. And all of a sudden, there will be $100 worth of air in that price. And people will just be looking, staring at each other going, what happened? You know, well, that's just called economics. But I really like, on the flip side, two before 14s. They're kind of the redheaded stepchild of the lumber market here recently with everybody focusing on two before 16s. Seems like people's attention towards two before 14s. If you remember, go back about a year, two before 14s were like super hot and you could damn near charge whatever you wanted for them. Kind of the same situation we're having right now with 16s. We're selling uh, $14 below 16s right now. So, so to Matt, to your point, something's out of whack there, right? I like 14s a lot in the long run. In the short term, I don't like them at all. You know, we're trying to get rid of them. And I have a bunch of them personally in my inventory. I mean, I've been buying them cheap, but it doesn't really matter if they're illiquid, right? And then every other phone call I get is, hey, can you do a truck two before 16s? Well, I could in three weeks. I need it tomorrow. Well, sorry. <laughs> so if you, you know what if, I mean? If both of you were given the question came up, a guy raised his hand in the audience and said, So as a buyer, what do I do going forward the next 30, 60, 90 days? And I go, Well, I mean, how do you currently buy? What are you buying? How many days inventory? Do you have stuff sold with profit in it? If you have things sold with a decent profit in it, buy them. Right? The farther out, if you have things sold with a profit in them, buy them. My response was, if you already have a strategy down that's been working for you, continue to use it. Don't try to be too speculative and don't worry about things that you have no control over, the hand of God, things that happen. Just have contingencies in place that if those do happen, you have a way to react to them. I really like the November contract, turning that into some cash deliveries. I like two before 14s. Right. At what price do you like that at, Matt? What price? Right now. I think we're in the in the red zone. It is oversold. RSI is 20%. You know, we had a breakaway gap two days ago. I'd almost like to see it have a runaway gap to the point, you know, I mean, really the, the number that I look at is there's a gap $10 lower on right. the weekly chart. You get down into the 460s, which puts you 350 Western Mill. What's your downside of starting a long position at that point? None, and I, I was buying cash at that price 
back in April. What kind of discount is that to the cash market right now? That's a good question because it really is tally dependent, right? If you're sure. talking about a heavy 16, 18, 20 type thing, that's one price. If you're talking about flat random 8 to 16, that's a whole nother discussion. But if, if I look at the futures, which is a delivered Chicago, so I've got Eastern as a pretty good bellwether, uh, you're, you're probably a 15 to $25 discount to the current cash market, which is, which is sloppy. I don't really look at it so much as how much of a discount it is or what kind of a value it is on today's price point. I just look at it as a long-term loser for the mills and it's a shutdown price. When it gets down to Greg's number, he's talking 460. That's a 350 Prince George. You get down there, it's like you're just locking in red tape. You're going to get less lumber production. Yeah. You're going to get, they're going to get crushed. You know, that their costs keep going up and that mill price just does not work at all. It's a huge loss. It's not a small loss. It's a big loss. And so you see, you see announcements, right? And we're getting close to those levels where we're going to start seeing announcements. I don't, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. If something doesn't change, if we just keep drifting, it's going to go to where we joke about the economists and the, uh, the bean counters making decisions. Well, guess what? That works on the mill side too. Matt Beamer, Hampton Lumber Sales, Greg Riley, Sika USA. We're going to conclude this episode. And I wanted to tell everybody next week, we will have a guest on that you won't want to miss. And Matt, Greg, and I will talk about a few of the items we didn't talk about this week that are ones that you will not want to miss out on. So you'll definitely want to show up to next week's. We'll also talk about what some of the uh, home builders and framers that we know in the market that buy long-term pricing are doing. So stick with us next week and show up for the lumber word. Again, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. <laughs>